morning, friends. My name's Erica. The second Bible reading uh, is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through to 15. And on my pew Bible, it can be found on page 1012. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Thank you, Erica. Uh, well, my name's John. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. We are thinking about prayer over the next few weeks. Uh, should we be praying for our football team? As we heard from Pete earlier today, I'm, I'm not so sure we'll see. Uh, but let's pray once again and we'll consider this passage. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we learn from our Saviour to pray, help us to pray and mean it like our life depends on it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure you can complete each line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven. Yeah, okay, we can be a bit more confident, can't we? <laughs> Hallowed be your... Your kingdom, your will. Okay, that's really good. I'm sure many of us were familiar with the Lord's Prayer. We grew up memorizing it. But I suspect many of us grew up with a different version. Many of us grew up with the King James Version. And so it's our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. But over the next few weeks, we'll be in the school of prayer with our Savior, with Jesus Christ, to learn from him how he prayed and how he taught us how we are to pray, how and what we are to pray. So we learn from Jesus himself. This prayer is, in fact, the most important prayer for Christians. Uh, an early church father, Tertullian, he said, it's a summary of the gospel. You know this prayer, you know the gospel. Thomas Watson, Puritan, he said, it's the body of divinity. And J.I. Packer, he said, what it means to be a Christian is nowhere clearer than here. So you know the Lord's Prayer, you know what it means to be a Christian. But I wonder, when we consider the topic of prayer, I wonder what's coming to your mind. I wonder whether some of us might feel a little bit guilty about this. Because some of us might be wondering, I know I don't pray enough. How many of us think that way? Or some of us might be thinking, well, each time I start to pray, I, I get so easily distracted. 
the messages are popping out, the emails come in, and so I change my routine. I pray at night time, but then I find that I just fall asleep. Or when I come to pray, I find that I'm just praying through the same things over and over again, and it's just the same thing. My family, my work, my friends. And it just feels like my prayers are a bit shallow. You know, it becomes a bit like a chore or a routine or it's just plain vanilla. Or in my prayers, I don't feel like I sense the awe and wonder of being in communion with God. Or it just feels like I'm just going through the motions as my duty as a Christian. Now I wonder whether any of us feel that way about our own prayer life. I was at a conference the other week at the Gospel Coalition Conference and one of the speakers, Peter Adam, he said that this generation is characterized by prayerlessness. What do you think about that? Do you think it's true? Well, I suspect at the heart of it, if it is true, why is that so? At the heart of it is because we forgot the power of prayer because we have forgotten the power of the one we are praying to. We have forgotten the delight of sweet communion, of being in joyful delight in fellowship with our Father in heaven. If you know the power of God and you know the delight of being in communion with God, how can we stop? Instead, I find, I mean, I'm guilty of this as well. I'm no different. We spend too much time on social media, watching nonsense, texting nonsense. We perhaps spend even more time reading daily papers than in prayer. And so that's why I thought a series on prayer might be just what we need as a church. Some of us, in fact, are already prayer warriors and, you know, go for it. Praise the Lord for that. But for some of us, we, we, we know we can pray. We know that we can pray anytime and anywhere. But I suspect for many of us, we don't pray like our life depends on it. Like it's the air we breathe, like we heard from Peter earlier today. I mean, just try holding your breath and see how long you can hold it without breathing. Prayer for a Christian is like breathing. You can't be a Christian without breathing, without prayer. And so if we stop, how do we actually live? How do we survive? How do we even get through the day without prayer? Martin Lloyd-Jones, he puts it this way. He said, Prayer is beyond question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his highest, greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. And so I'm hoping that over the next few weeks we will grapple with the awesome privilege we have that we can come face to face with God. And we're learning from our Saviour how and what to pray. And that was the very question of the disciples. How should we pray? How can we pray? What do we pray? And what did Jesus say in that passage? This then is how you pray. Now Jesus didn't mean we're merely to recite the Lord's Prayer over and over again. 57 words, 30 seconds, our job is done and that's it. Of course we can pray the Lord's Prayer and mean it. Instead, what Jesus meant was this is a model for prayer. And do you notice the priority, how Jesus arranged or organized his prayer? There is an order there. It is firstly about God, adoration, all about God. It's your name, your kingdom, your will. That's what we're considering today, all about God. And then next week, we will then consider give us and forgive us. 
And then the final week, we'll look at lead us and deliver us. But today, we start with God. Our focus is on Him, adoration. And so when we come to pray, what is the first thing you notice in how Jesus taught us? Our Father who is in heaven. Which means, if you think about it, it's not a universal prayer for everyone. It's not. But it's a personal prayer for some. It's why God won't listen to every prayer. I mean, that might sound shocking. God doesn't listen to every prayer. I mean, Jesus says, you pray like the pagans, you babble, you, you say a lot of words, a whole bunch of vain repetitions, empty words. God's not going to listen. But then what does Jesus teach us? What type of prayers, what type of approach, what is the basis of prayer in which God will listen? Well, we come to God not as though God is some distant, uninterested God who is far, far away. But we're coming like a child running into the arms of our Father. I mean, just, just allow that image to sink in. What is prayer? We're coming into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. I mean, no one would dare come to a king in the middle of a night to ask for a glass of milk. No one. No subject, no night, unless you're the child of the king. You can. And that is what Jesus is teaching. It is on that basis we come to God in prayer, like a child. Which means we don't come to God as though it's some cosmic transaction, like doing business with God. Oh, great God, I praise thee above heaven and earth, but I just want stuff from you. I mean, we cannot treat God as though he's some idol where we try to manipulate. We give him something, we give you praise, but you give us something else. That, that's not prayer. And it's why prayer cannot be something that we just say for show, just to impress others. I mean, Jesus just spoke against that. If the only time we pray as Christians is in public with others, if that's the only time we pray, then there's something wrong with that, isn't there? You see, our public prayers are meant to be an overflow of our private prayers. And so prayer is, is not a transaction. It's not for shows, not to impress, but it's just like a child running into the arms of his heavenly Father. Now, when Jesus taught to pray, again, notice what he said, our Father in heaven. Now, do you notice what Jesus is doing there? It's obvious, but it's worth making this point. You see, out of the entire universe, who is the only one who can call God Father? The only one who can truly call God Father is Jesus Christ. But what is Jesus doing by teaching us to pray our Father in heaven? Well, what Jesus was doing was he's including us in his relationship with his Father. He's inviting us into the joy and intimacy he enjoys with his Father. And he's also involving us in the eternal purposes of the Father. You see, that's his prayer. But now he's including us in that prayer. And perhaps when Jesus taught this prayer, he was most likely speaking Aramaic to his disciples. Now in Aramaic, the word for father is the word Abba. And the word Abba has a much more intimate ring to it. It's a bit like daddy or dad. I mean, isn't that how our children speak to us, those of us who are parents? They don't, they don't call up and say, Father, come and pick me up at the station. 
No, they don't speak that way. They say, Dad, can you come and pick me up? It's that, that intimacy. And so Jesus says, pray like this. That is, pray like me. Our Father, well, well, yes and no, our Dad, our Daddy. Now, that might sound a little irreverent, but at least try to capture the sense of the intimacy he's inviting us into. And so if God is our Dad, then it means that Jesus is our older brother, and we are his, God's beloved children. And perhaps a a parcel note at this point that's worth mentioning. You see, for some of us, we do have good fathers on earth, wonderful fathers. And if we do have good fathers, they are pointers to God, our perfect father. But for some of us, we never had a father, never knew our father, or our father was just terrible. But God is still that perfect father for you. Andrew Murray, South African minister, he once said, The knowledge of God's father love is the first and simplest, but also the last and highest lesson in the school of prayer. Know this, the Father's love. And it's why we need to pray, our Father. He's our Father, our Dad. It's why we need to teach our children to pray like this. Recently, we've been praying the Lord's Prayer again as as a household. I remember teaching our children when they were young and they've memorized it like many of us. But why teach this prayer? Why learn this prayer? Why pray this prayer? It's because I want, we want our children. You don't just have me as your father. I'm imperfect in so many ways. But you have God as your perfect heavenly father. He'll care when I can't. In fact, he'll care far better than I can. In fact, God is never too busy for you. Your heavenly father is never too busy for you. I'm sometimes a bit, I'm stuck in meetings all the time. But your heavenly father is not too busy for you. However, if we follow on how Jesus taught us to pray, it doesn't mean that we rock up to our heavenly father casually, irreverently, you know, just like a mate, how you're going. Now, even with our own children, there are some expectations, aren't there, in how they relate to us or how we relate to our parents. You know, sure, in households we have fun, we joke, we banter. My children, they beg me about my receding hairline, my lack of hair, and, and that's okay. They, I share dad jokes and, and they, irris, they, they disrespectfully, they roll their eyes. But that's okay. But yet, at the same time, you see, there still needs to be this, this level of respect of honoring your parents and us to our parents And perhaps that's something that's a bit lost in our society today, I feel. And if it is the case, if children do not respect you, the fault is not with the the children, it's in fact with the parents. But here with God, there must be reverence. And notice the priority in this prayer. It's not our Heavenly Father, please give. It doesn't start that way. Instead it's Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Andrew Murray again, he said, In true worship, the Father must be first and everything. He must be first and everything. You get that right, you get the rest of the prayer right. And so this is not walking up to God and, you know, like up to a mate, giving a slap across the back and say, how, how are you going, mate? Not like that. But we're approaching 
the one who is also the ruler of heaven and earth, the one who is also the judge of the living and the dead. Which is why our prayers, that there is a, a right posture, at least in our heart, and perhaps even physically. It's why I, I'm not too happy when our kids, we're praying as a family, and they're just lying. And I remember growing up, sometimes passing my parents' bedroom at night, and, and I would see my dad on his knees praying. And that has left an impression on me. There is a right posture in our hearts, but even physically. So what does it mean to pray, hallowed be your name? Well, it means our Father. He needs to be revered. He needs to be respected. His name needs to be treated as holy. He needs to be highly esteemed. It's about God's reputation. That's what we're on about when we pray this, not ours. We want the world to know God's reputation so that they would honor him, so that they would revere him, respect him, and treat him as holy. And isn't that what we're like with those we love and care? We want people to know. We want people to adore the one we love and, and care for. I mean, a boyfriend gets a girlfriend and he's really excited and he's saying, she's just so beautiful, so wonderful, her, her personality is so sweet. I, I just want everyone, to, I'm over the moon, and I want everyone to know about her. But, but of course here we're talking about God Almighty. We want the world to see how praiseworthy God is. Hallowed be your name. It's to say, we adore you, our Father, but we want the world to adore you as well. Leon Morris, I love how he puts it. He said, We are asking for God to so work in the world that more and more people will make him the center and foundation of their lives. We are saying that we want to see more and more people acknowledging God as their ultimate authority and their highest priority. We are asking for idols to be cast down and for God to take his seat on the throne of every human heart. We are asking for all creation to be restored to its proper attitude, arrangement, and orbit. I mean, don't you love that? That's what it means to hallowed be your name. It's to pray so that creation will get in its right place. God doesn't orbit around us, but we orbit and revolve around God. And so today, you may know, we still say the Lord's Prayer in Parliament. Many people still want to get rid of it. Many will be sitting there. They'll hear it. Some will not partake. Some will not even enter in when the Lord's Prayer is being prayed. But you see, to pray, hallowed be your name, is to say that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But to pray, hallowed be your name, is to pray, let's see more do that before that day. And next, Jesus teaches, your kingdom come. Now notice again, the focus, the priority is still on God. A bit like the Ten Commandments, the first four about God, the other six about each other. Let your kingdom come means we're wrong about God's kingdom, not ours. You see, it revolves around God, God's kingdom, not my stuff, not my patch. I'm not even thinking about what I'm asking just yet. Your kingdom, God. Your kingdom. And what it means is that we are to lift our eyes, our vision, above what is before us, above the horizon, so that our eyes gaze to heaven itself. 
You see, life sometimes, and I suspect this is true for many of us, we meet together on Sunday, but then Monday starts. And life just feels like we've got blinkers on, you know, like what horses wear in races. We've got blinkers on, and so our perspective is just small and narrow and limited. And we think, whatever we face, our problem, that's the biggest problem in the world. But when you pray, your kingdom come, what that does is it lifts our eyes to heaven itself. It's to pray for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God so that when the world looks at us, so that when the world looks at you and me at the church, they will say, you people look like you live and you belong to a different kingdom. And I want to belong to that as well. You see, it was how Christianity moved from being a small group of believers in the first century to the faith of the Roman Empire. It was how it happened. The world saw that the kingdom of God was breaking in and the people of God was, they were living like they belonged to a different kingdom. You see, in 165 AD, there was a devastating 50-year epidemic of smallpox. It swept through the Roman Empire. Up to about a third of the population, they died. And it was a terrible disaster. Everyone was dying, from the, from the peasants, from the poor to emperors. And do you know what happened during that time, what the pagans did when people were just dying all over the place? They left the cities, they left the dying, their family, their friends on the streets just to die. It was out of control. But do you know what the Christians did? They remained in the city and they nursed the sick. Not just the Christians, but also the pagans. Their lives reflected like they belonged to a different kingdom. Such that a, few, a century later, Emperor Julian, he was confused. Why are these Christians treating the pagans better than the pagans are treating their own? Because you see, a lot of the Christians died from nursing the sick. But that's what the kingdom of God looks like. God's people living God's way and drawing the world in. And so eventually it became the faith of the Roman Empire. But, but do you see why it's so important to pray such a prayer? In our prayers, your kingdom, not my kingdom, not my passion, not my home, but your kingdom. It gives us an eternal perspective and the blinkers are off. Often in my pastoral care and counsel with members of our church, when we catch up, and often there are, there are real deep heartfelt issues. Jobs coming up or interviews or setbacks or disappointments or, or health issues. And, it, and it's heavy to listen to. And it weighs upon the hearts of those who are speaking. But often, when I'm hearing this, I'm also saying, you still got your blinkers on. You have to take off your blinkers. And depending on the issue and who I'm speaking to, I'm I'm not insensitive, but sometimes I'll say this. Do you think your issue will matter in a thousand years? In a thousand years' time, when you're around the throne of Christ, will it matter whether you pass or fail? Take the blinkers off. Let your kingdom come. That's what we pray. And that's why Jesus follows up that part of the prayer with, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we're, if we're serious about the kingdom of God, then we have to be serious about the will of God. But you see how that turns our world 
upside down. Because very often, Christians, young and old, we are so caught up with, what is God's will for my life? What is it that God wants to do with my life, with my children, my work, my career, my family? What's God's will for me? And you see what has happened. I think what has taken place in the church is it's a Christianized idolatry, like I'm what really matters. What's God's will for me? It's as though what really matters in God's eternal purposes centers on me. Now that's the wrong way around. Of course God loves us, he does. He cherishes us, he treasures us. We're his treasured possession, for sure. We're his precious children. But what father will not give the best for his children? Of course he will. What father will not withhold what is good from his children? But yet sometimes I'm, I'm baffled by you know, the types of prayers we hear in Christian circles. You know, give me this, give me that. And if I don't get it, I, I'll stop praying. I still remember listening to a Christian man who, who shared with me when his household, they were looking for the, their family home. He would pray with his children, God, please give us a house with a swimming pool and a tennis court. I mean, imagine that for a prayer. Pray it if you like, I'm not stopping you. But, but our prayers must never begin with what's God's will for me. But it begins with what's your will, God? What's your will, our Father in heaven? And how can I be a part of your will, not the other way around? You know, we like to pray, God, what's my will? You be a part of my will, but it's meant to be the other way around. It means then that it has to shape the type of prayers we pray, doesn't it? The type of prayers we pray for our loved ones, our children, our family, our friends, for ourselves. You know, often we want to pray health, success, achievements. Not that you can't. Of course you can. Our Father loves us. He will listen. But I'm not sure that is best. I was convicted by this when our, our kids were little. And I was blown away, in a sense, by a prayer I learned from Don Carson. I'll share it. Some of you have heard this in the past. And it goes like this. A prayer I'll pray for my children. Please grant Esther, Caleb, and Ethan a love for you that goes beyond ours. I mean, we love you, Lord, but we want our kids to love you even more than us. I pray that they will have enough opposition to make them strong. Enough insults to make them choose. Enough hard decisions to make them see that following Jesus brings with it a cost. A cost eminently worth it, but still a cost. It's not praying for an easy life, is it? You might be thinking, what type of father is this? I go on. I pray that they'll have enough hardship. They'll learn to depend on you. That they'll have enough faith to persevere to the end. That they'll have enough hope that they'll live with an excited anticipation for the kingdom of God. Your will be done in their lives. And so in our prayers, we seek not our will. What's God's will for me? We seek God's will and we align ours with his. And so we begin our prayers this way. It's your name, your kingdom, your will. I haven't started asking for anything yet. Next week, you want to ask? Come back next week. But this is the first part of the Lord's Prayer. And I don't actually think it's that hard to understand. But I do think if we are in our hearts of hearts 
genuine about praying that prayer. It's in fact quite uncomfortable. It's in fact even dangerous. What do I mean? You see, if I really pray and mean it, hallowed be your name, what does that make me? It means then that I'm a worshipper of God. He is to be worshipped all the time. He's the one who is the holy one, the hallowed one. That makes me uncomfortable because I better worship him all the time. And if I pray, your kingdom come. What does that make me? It makes me his subject. He's the king. It is his kingdom. I'm on about his kingdom. I mean, if he is king, I better obey. And if I pray, your will be done, what does that make me? It makes me his slave. He's the master. It's his will, not my will. I do your bidding. Do you see how uncomfortable it is if you really pray that prayer? Dangerous even? Frederick Buchner, American Presbyterian minister, recently passed away. He said, We do well not to pray the Lord's Prayer lightly. It takes guts to pray it at all. To speak those words is to invite the tiger out of the cage, to unleash a power that makes atomic power look like a warm breeze. Now, have you thought about that when you come to the Lord's Prayer? It, in fact, takes guts to pray it. Because, you, say, you see, to pray such a prayer is not just reciting mindlessly. To say such a prayer, to pray such a prayer, it's not just about the world out there and it's just for them to know. But to say, to pray such a prayer is meant to be personal. It's meant to transform us from within. To say such a prayer. To pray such a prayer means we have to question, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing today? How am I storing up my treasures? Where am I storing up my treasures? What am I doing with my finances? It affects our entire life. And if it doesn't, if this prayer does not affect our entire life, then we haven't really prayed it. You see, it's uncomfortable. It's dangerous. It takes guts. Because to pray such a prayer is to say to God, my life is not my own, it is yours. It's all about your name, your kingdom, your will. And so if we do pray such a prayer and God responds, are you sure? You mean what you just prayed? Are you really willing to make the costly sacrifice for the sake of my kingdom? Are you prepared Are you really prepared to go where I send you because it's my will, not yours? Are you willing to leave what you love because it's for my sake? Are you willing to carry the cross? Are you serious about that prayer? You will deny yourself? Are you really certain that you want my will to be done in your life? Now I wonder how many of us are willing to say yes to all of that. Because that's what it takes to pray and mean it, the Lord's Prayer. And so let me ask you then, how can we pray it? We know our hearts to be fickle. We know sometimes we say things we don't mean, we pray things we may not even mean. But how are we able to genuinely, sincerely pray this? Well, the only way we're able to is because it was the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed it first. 
It's the prayer of our Lord, the Lord's Prayer. He prayed it. And when did Jesus pray such a prayer? When did Jesus say, your will be done, not mine? Do you remember that story? In the Garden of Gethsemane, with sweats of blood, in torment and agony, needing to face the wrath of the Father, the cross, the sins of the world upon his shoulders. Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed in sorrow to the point of death. My Father, if it is at all possible, take the cup away from me. But not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus prayed that prayer. And God's will, in answer to that prayer, was that his life would be poured out for many. He would face the cross. He would give himself entirely for us. His blood would be shed. God's will was that he would be crushed. That was the cost of praying that prayer. That was the cost for Jesus in loving us, in obedience to his Father. And so if Jesus prayed that prayer, God's will be done. Jesus enables us to pray such a prayer. He gives us the motivation. He opens up the way, the access, the privilege. In fact, without Jesus praying that prayer and going to the cross, we will not be able to come to God as Father. That was opened up for us because Jesus prayed that prayer. God answered and God's will was done. And so this week, as we reflect on this part of the Lord's Prayer, let me encourage you, pray it and mean it. It does take guts. It is uncomfortable. And it can be dangerous because you will be changed. And if God is my Father and I pray His will be done, what do I have to lose but everything to gain? And I'll end with just a few practical encouragements. This week, do meet with God face to face. Pray this part of the Lord's Prayer. Your name, your kingdom, your will. Do that every day before you ask for anything. And mean it. Also come and join us for the prayer meeting next Sunday. But then pray that prayer and just watch and see how God may answer that prayer. And I thought it would be fitting for us to end with the Lord's Prayer. Shall we pray together? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.